I love Christmas. I, I really do. I love this whole season. I know it's hard to believe, looking at me right now, that I like Christmas a little bit. I know it's a stretch for you, but I love Christmas ever since I was a kid. I mean, there's, there's kind of some mystery to it, you know. When you, when you first kind of try to figure this Christmas thing out, it, it is a little bit confusing, isn't it, though? I mean, you have the big guy in the suit. He's got the big, you know, white beard. Uh, apparently, he has some minions working for him. I guess they call them elves or something. They got the weird ears. And they're, you know, making the toys all year long. And uh, they're up in the North Pole somewhere, which, you know, nobody can really know because you can't really get to wherever they're at. I don't know. It's cold. There's snow. And then at one point in the year, somehow this crazy character hops in a sled and it, he hooks up some reindeer to it and somehow... This little contraption setup, he is able to bring a toy to 7 billion people in one night. You know, when I was a kid, you know, I, I, I couldn't fathom. I didn't understand all the math behind it. I didn't really realize what was going on. But there's like, it always kind of threw me. What kind of methods is he using to be able to do this, I realize like Christmas music or Christmas you know movies now they kind of explain you know some of the maybe the magic behind it or whatever. But as a kid, you know I was just trying to figure that out. He's able to land on you know back as a kid we, we were living in an apartment complex. I'm like how does that even work you know? <laughs> but yeah this 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 contraption and this character is going to deliver presents all. You know I was looking last year the average of all three of the big delivery services in the United States that includes. You know, the U.S. Postal Service, right? The FedEx and UPS. All three of those services combined, at least just in the United States, can deliver about 534 million packages a day. All right. So, you know, again, trying to figure this out. Uh, Santa up there in his sleigh, kind of cruising through the world. How many days would it take just for those three services to deliver 7 billion gifts. Anybody know the math? A couple weeks, yeah, at least. Some of you, the engineers speaking up out there. Good, good job. Can someone check the math on that? I don't know. <laughs> Two weeks to deliver 7. What kind of method is that possible? Now, some of you, if you've kind of been around for the last few years, you've seen this thing. I don't know if it's NASA or something, NORAD. They got this thing called the Santa Tracker. Anybody seen this bad boy? You know, it kind of tries to show you in, like, real time, you know, where is Santa? Somewhere in Africa, somewhere, something like that. And, you know, and, and it kind of feels believable, you know, just a little bit, right? It's just, well, he's going to make it through there, and somehow, by the time this night's done, he's going to have 7 billion, you know, gifts delivered. No method could, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. Anyway, but, you know, you think about it, any any big project that you're going to take, you know, undertake is, is going to require some methods, you know? The old adage is, right, if you're going to eat an elephant, you got to what? One bite at a time. And, you know, I've been around elephants, and they're smelly, and I look at them, and I don't want to eat them. I don't know where that came from, who the guy that came up with that, but you know, he, he needs some, he's got some issues not eating a, 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 an elephant. But anything major requires some methods. That's what we're going to be talking about today. 
looking at the miracle of the method. And the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Adventful. And the idea is, it's not even a real world, we, or word, we just made it up. But the idea is that we want to be full of those things that God intended for us. We want to be full of joy. We want to be full of peace. We want to be full of love. But it seems as Christmas takes off, it seems like once, you know, November hits, it's a mad dash to the end of the year. And we, and we feel stressed, and we have all these things going on, and we somehow forget to be filled with love and joy and peace. But that's, that's what we long for. So we've been in this series hoping to maybe restore some of that for us. And in week one, we talked about you know, the, miracle, the miracle of Christmas being the miracle of the moments. And how in week one, we were talking about how maybe for some of us, we need to slow down as it gets into this time of year so that we can pause and reflect and really kind of be in the moment. And we talked about seizing your moments, taking time. And then in week two, last weekend, we talk about the miracle of the message. And in all the different ways that God could have communicated to us, and he used lots of different ways, when he finally wanted to give us the real deal, the complete message, he didn't send a text He didn't put it on Facebook. He didn't put it on stone tablets. He was born into humanity and made sure we understood clearly not only God's revealed will, but his love for us. So we talked about that last week. And today, we're hitting miracle of the method. So let's pause together. We're all ready to go here and just ask God to speak to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you with humility. You're in charge and we're not. We're so thankful for that. Lord, it's the first day of the week. And we, we hit the reset button. Father, we pray for just a, a fresh movement of your Holy Spirit that you would, you would speak to all of our hearts and our minds. And that, Lord, we would, we would leave this place changed. Lord, challenge us where we need to be challenged. And, Father, as we lean into seeing the methods that you use, uh, may you just give us more and more insight so that we can take your love to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing I want to talk about today is that God's methods transcend us. God's methods transcend us. One of my favorite passages in in the New Testament part of the Bible was written by a guy named Paul. He's like an early church leader. A lot of the New Testament documents are written by by Paul, an early church leader. And listen to what he wrote in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable. His judgments and untraceable his ways. So powerful and mighty. He spins universes into existence. That should be a clue. His methods will always transcend us. We we can't quite get our minds around the ways that God is working, the ways that He's trying to accomplish things. Our minds just can't quite fathom it. Have you ever had a prayer moment? And you've kind of said that thing to God where you said, you know, God, if you'll just give me this, or if you'll just tell me this, or would you reveal this to me, then I'll, and you fill in the blank. We make these deals with God. And I think God is sometimes hearing our prayers like that and saying, if I told you all of this stuff, you couldn't, you couldn't get it. You couldn't fathom it. His ways and his, his wisdom is so much greater than our understanding. And when you read scripture, you can't even get a few pages into the Bible. 
Some of you, you know, you, you, every year, I mean, we're coming up to January, and you may try to, okay, this year, I'm going to read through the entire Bible. And that's, you know, i got to hand it to you. That's, that's a tough call. I mean, there's a lot of words in there. There's 66 books written over a long period of time. There's some, some tough stuff in there. And so you coming up to January, you're going to read through the whole thing. You can't get too far into Scripture before you start to see some things that are pretty amazing. And you start to realize God's methods are crazy sometimes. He will use the underdog, the marginalized, the one that we would never even look at. God's methods transcend us. He will do things that we can't even fathom, and he's got a plan. God's methods transcend us. You know, and, and that applies even to Christmas, okay? Christmas, when you think about Christmas, it's this, his, his, his you know, his, his, his ways that he's going to save the world. You know, God's going to save the world, and so we get to this Christmas story, the advent, him coming, and he's going he's to make a big impact. And, and I think if we were writing the script... If we were the ones in charge of writing the narrative of this is how you're going to save the world, I think we would have written things very differently. I don't think we would have written it the way we see in Scripture, which, by the way, is one of the reasons I feel like we can trust Scripture pretty good. Because there's stuff in there. Look, if we were editing the thing, we would have put them out there. We're not going to put that one in there. But you find those things all the time, and it just reminds us God's methods are not like ours. And when you get to Christmas, I mean, you think about it. God's going to reveal himself, and we're thinking if he's going to do that to the whole world, he's going to go global. Oh, we got to get his platform ready. we got to get his, his, uh, you know, his, his Facebook page going. He's got to get Instagram going. we got to get all these channels going. God is going to reveal himself and his plan for humanity. He's going to go big. He's going to go viral. And we're thinking, I don't know. I'm kind of an, a superhero nerd. I'm feeling like that should involve capes and a boots, you know? God is going to reveal himself. It should be a superhero, epic, awesome thing, right? And what does he do? What does he do to reveal himself? A baby, a defenseless child in the hands of some teenagers who don't even know what they're doing. That's his big reveal plan? If we were writing the script, I think we would have written it slightly different, Right? You know that. Some of you are writers. You would have all kinds of ideas. This isn't how you're going to do this, God. Let me help you. I love it when we take that posture with God. Let me help you. He's up there saying, okay, well, I created the universe, but you've got a better plan than me. Okay, I'll listen. I don't know why we think somehow we've got a better plan, but if we were writing the script, it would have been very, very different. You know, there would have been a drum roll. There would have been lights and camera and action and big booms everywhere. Not a helpless, defenseless baby in an obscure part of the Roman Empire. We would never have chosen those methods, and yet God's methods, they just, they transcend us. I mean, God's plan was to have Mary and Joseph raise him? I mean, I don't think Mary and Joseph knew what they were signing up for. But God's methods transcend us. Listen to what Isaiah, one of the big prophets in the Old Testament. We have major and minor prophets, and, and, and so really the difference is they wrote more. But Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, listen to what Isaiah says about how God works and how we are. Listen to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. Listen to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Thank you. And your ways are not my ways. This is God speaking, right? This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. If we had any doubt, God's just telling us flat out, 
I think bigger than you. That's what he's saying. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And thank goodness for that, right? I'm thankful he's in charge and we're not. I look around this room, I think, I'm glad God's in charge and we're not. And you're not. So the point is, God's methods, they transcend ours. They just, they transcend ours. And we shouldn't be surprised that God sometimes does the unorthodox or, or uses methods that we don't quite understand, uses people and circumstances. I mean, he's still doing it today in ways that we, we can't even really fathom. God, God goes for the, the underdogs, the quiet ones. He does those sorts of things. I mean, the fact that he chose Bethlehem, this insignificant little town, I mean, it was great when David was around, but now it's just there's a remnant of people barely even holding on as a nation. I mean, they're just, they're just been beaten up from empire to empire. So this small little town of Bethlehem, this is where God's going to make his big reveal. Over and over again, God seems to do the amazing through the plain and the ordinary, and, and it's just such a mystery. God's methods are simply crazy. That brings me to the second thing I want to talk about, and that is this, that God's methods include us. Now, that's pretty amazing right there. He's thinking, if he can speak universes into existence, I mean, he's not consulting me on that. And yet, his methods include us, include the everyday average Joe, like you and like me, and like he did in Scripture. I mean, so let's go to the Christmas story again. So we have that, you know, Luke chapter 2 moment, right? And maybe some of you are going to read that. That's your tradition. You read it to the family on Christmas morning, and it's a very amazing chapter. But so we have the big reveal, we have the big reveal now. We've gotten through all history. Now it's the first century, and the angels have the script. And the angels are going to reveal that the Messiah is finally being born. The Messiah is finally here. The angels have the message. And I would think, all right, well, this is going to be an announcement. It's going to go everywhere. It's going to go viral. We're going to have, you know, it's going to go into all the right channels, Right? This is the announcement. This is finally, this is what the nation has been waiting for. 400 years since the Old Testament ended. And we get to the New Testament. Finally, it's going to happen. The people are like, God, are you still up there? Now he's going to say, yes, I'm still up here. Check this out. I'm going to come and be born. It's a big deal. The angels are ready to go. And to whom do the angels go first? Shepherds. Shepherds. In God's grand plan, the method that he uses to give the first message is to people who have chosen a career to professionally work with sheep. Now, many of you know I grew up on a farm. I have a lot of great experiences on the farm. I learned a lot of things on the farm. When I was in high school, my parents decided, in all of their wisdom that we were going to uh, venture into raising sheep. And so, again, in their wisdom, I don't want to doubt their wisdom, we had, uh, you know, a couple hundred head of sheep. And we were in charge of that. Now, again, I was a teenager. There's a lot I didn't know back then. But I was also the rookie on the farm. So I had to do things I really didn't want to do. Well, we had this part of our property that was kind of the, the lower part of our property, and it had some, some natural springs of water. So some of it was kind of marshy in there. You know, it's kind of, they called it a wetland, I think now is the proper term here. It's a wetland. It's where all the wildlife can be. It's a beautiful, glorious thing. Not for me, okay? <laughs> it, was, it was a swamp. It was muddy. It was gross. It smelled. 
Well, me being the rookie, I got the call that, hey, we had a fence break and some sheep are getting out. You need to go down to that lower section. Well, we called it the bottom. And that's really how it felt for me. I had to go to the bottom and I had to try to help. And when I got there, you know, there were, there were a couple of sheep who were wading into the marsh. Apparently, they were going to try some swimming lessons. Sheep don't swim. I can tell you that for sure. They were in there having their Olympic swimming situation. And of course, they're not swimming. They're sinking. And me being the rookie and all, it was my task to go in there and rescue the dumb sheep. And the thing is, I had to take off my boots, you know, had to drop trowel. I had to get in there, wade in there. And you would think, I'm saving the lives of these dumb sheep. You would think they would be thankful. <laughs> you would think they'd be very happy that I'm in there helping them out. But no, they're not. They're kicking me and doing all this. I got scars to prove it. Finally get them out. And that really, that experience solidified some of my career options. <laughs> At that point, I realized that there is no end to the stupidity of these animals. They will continually surprise you by their stupidity. And I realized then I was not meant to work with these animals professionally. That's when I decided I'm not going to do the shepherd work. And so when you read this in the narrative, that the people who first got the announcement were people who in their wisdom decided in their career path they are going to work with sheep professionally. I question that decision, God. When I cross over and there's new heavens and new earth, and I've told you this, I have lots of questions, I'm going to ask him that one. That You've seen sheep, God. You created them. And this is your plan. God's methods, they, they, they transcend us and they include us, even smelly professional sheep people. Shepherds were the first to find out. I mean, couldn't they have gone to like the high priest that year? and said, here's the deal. Couldn't they have gone to like even a Roman soldier? They have more weight around town than shepherds. But God's methods, they not only transcend us, but they include us, even smelly sheep. And it reminds me of a point here. And if you're taking notes, this is a good point. God uses the ordinary to do extraordinary things. God uses the ordinary to do extraordinary things. I've seen it happen. The fact that I'm even up here reminds me that God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Things that we would never th have thought. God can use the ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, I think that's a pretty big deal. I mean, you with me on that one? I, th I think it's a pretty good one. I mean, the cross is important. and I, Yeah, that, that's a big deal to me. But the fact that he rose from the dead... That's a pretty big deal. I would think that with the res raising from the dead, you know, Jesus breathing again, I would think that that would be another moment where we could go big, right? We could go global on that one. That's got traction. We can, we can hit the social media channels. We can go global. Let's go on, on YouTube. We're going to have a YouTube video of him coming out of the tomb. That would have been a moment, right? So God has this big reveal of the Son of God 
actually rising from the dead. You would have thought this could have been a great moment. To, if we were writing the script, let's go back to that. If we were writing the script, we could have all kinds of things happen. You know, again, there could have been the cameras there. There could have been everything there. In all of God's wisdom, who does the risen Jesus show to himself to first? A couple of ladies. Now, in our culture, that's not a big deal, right? But in first century culture, that was scandalous. Because if you were a lady and you witnessed, say, a crime, they wouldn't even take your testimony in the courtroom. You could have been a first-hand witness. Because you are female, your testimony doesn't hold weight. You see, the first people to see the risen Jesus were two women. Our methods are not like God's methods. If we were writing the script, you know this, we would have chose Peter, we would have chose someone else, but two women. In fact, if you, if you don't agree with that, it was kind of scandalous. The women go back to tell the rest of the disciples, the male disciples, and do they believe them? Oh, yeah, I believe you saw the risen Jesus. What do they say? Uh-uh. We got to go see it ourselves. We can't take your testimony. God revealed the Son of God living from the dead to two women. First appearances matter, don't they? Think about it. First impressions matter. Now, as some of you know, I am a bit of a nerd, and I like comic books. I like Marvel superheroes. So I'm going I'm I'm to I'm I'm reveal my nerdness for you for just a few minutes. Okay, If you indulge me just for a few minutes, I, I'm, I'm on this point here of first appearances do matter. In the comic book world, Whenever you have a character who shows up for the first time in a series or a comic book, that becomes extremely valuable. So the first time, you know, Superman, you know, is revealed, you know, Superman number one, that could fetch, you know, two, three hundred thousand dollars right now. All right? So I want you to see if you can guess which superhero had his first appearance in this particular comic book. It was Amazing Fantasy, number 15. I'll give you a hint if that's helpful. He can shoot webs. Amazing, amazing Spider-Man, number 15. Now, these are all from the 60s. And the deal is, for some of you younger, I mean, comic books were kind of a bigger thing back then, but they weren't really sturdy pieces of literature. They were, they were like newsprint or whatever. Like if, you, you know, you, you got a little water on it, just kind of like disintegrated. I mean, these things, the fact that we have any of these still surviving is amazing. Amazing Fantasy 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man. Here's another one. See, this is even getting more obscure. Tales of Suspense, number 39. Huh? Who? Greenhorn, not, not bad. Same era. I'll give you a hint. This guy was a, a rich guy who developed some armor. Iron Man. Iron Man first. So some of you, go home. If you have Tales of Suspense number 39 in your <clears throat> closet, that's a great gift for me. I'll take that <laughs> gift. So I know you were wondering about what to get me. That's, that's a good one. Let me give you one more. No more. This is the third one. I promise I'm done, okay? Some of you are like, he's such a nerd. Last one. Journey into Mystery, number 83. Journey into Mystery, number 83. Anybody know what the first appearance of that was? You want a hint? 
he wielded this big hammer. Thor. You see what I'm saying? First appearances matter. They matter. Jesus made an appearance. And what's so crazy is he includes us in his plans. In fact, yes, his first reveal was to some women. Then the disciples came. He revealed himself first to a small band of followers. This small band of followers, they weren't perfect. They had lots of problems. You can't read the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies. You can't read very far. You go, Man, these people were messed up. God revealed himself to these small band of followers, and he entrusted them with the message, take this to the world. You are my eyewitnesses. Go to all ends of the earth and share the story. And the fact that we're in this room means that they did a good job with that. The small band. God uses us. He includes us in his methods. Amazing. And we're going to go back to Paul here. Paul's one of my favorite writers in Scripture. In the New Testament, he wrote a good part of the New Testament. Listen to what he wrote in another letter. That he wrote, and this is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. And again, we're talking about how God uses us in his methods. He uses ordinary to do the extraordinary. Listen to what Paul says. And he just, he just says it plainly. Brothers, consider your calling. Not many of you are wise from a human perspective. That's encouraging. Not many of you are wise from a... <laughs> Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. He's, he's right, but okay. Um, a humble perspective. Not many of you powerful. Not many of you of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. The deal is, God's methods really haven't changed. He still likes to use us to do things in the world, to bring his good and his love to the world around us. He uses ordinary people. The thing is, it's not about our abilities. Not about our abilities. It's not about all how great we are. It's about us being available and willing. I mean, that's it. That's like, the, that's like the, that's our job description. Available and having an attitude. Yes, Lord, use me. It's like when we say yes to God, he handles the rest. When we say yes, he handles the rest. It's not about our abilities. It's about how we're available. And our attitude is, yes, Lord, use me. It's not about our abilities. Look around this room. Many of us have been following Jesus for a while. It's not about us, is it? It's him. He's so good. And, and it's not about our abilities. It's about being available. We say yes, and God takes care of the rest. may not be always in the way we hope for or the way we plan, but again, God's methods, remember, transcend us. But he includes us in his methods. He's asked us to continue the story, continue to tell the great story of Jesus. And, and like I said, we as a church family, I think we do well to simply continue to be fascinated by Jesus. All right, bring me to my next one. Here we go, you ready? God's methods sanctify us. God's methods sanctify us. Once again, if, if we were writing the script of Scripture, we were writing the script of, say, how God is going to sanctify and purify us all, how God is going to make us holy, if we were the ones writing that script we probably would have wrote that also very differently. I mean, for us, on our part, we would probably say, well, 
when someone says yes to Jesus, remember, we say yes to God, he takes care of the rest. We want to take that further. We say yes to God. If we were writing a script, we'd say yes to God and no problems after that point. Who's with me? You say yes to Jesus. Hey, I did the big thing. I said yes. Now I want no problems. I want smooth sailing. That's the way we would be writing it, right? I would. No problems, no pain, no suffering, no no crazy issues at work. God's going to take care of everything because I said yes. He's supposed to take care of everything. But God's ways and his methods sanctify us in different ways than we may have wanted. We want no problems. We want smiley faces. We want all the resources. We never want to be in want. That's how we would have written the script for God to purify us, sanctify us, you know, make us holy. But God's ways are not like ours. God's plan involves some problems. God's plan involves some pressures, some pain. And we may not like it at the time, but God uses those things to to make us holy, to sanctify us, even though they might be difficult. I mean, the Christian way is... I've heard it said so many different ways, three steps forward and two steps back. That's the life of following Jesus. You know, Paul, I'll I'll quote him one more time. You guys are like, well, this is like all about Paul and his writings. But Paul in Romans chapter 7, we were already in the book of Romans. We'll be in it again for a second. But in Romans chapter 7, he's like, you know, I see the good that I want to do, but I'm torn. My body's, you know, I'm tempted by this and that. And who's going to save me from, from my struggles? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. God's methods involve pain and suffering and, and some and yes, victories, yes, celebration, but also sometimes defeats and discipline. This isn't the way we'd prefer it, right? Again, if we were writing the script, we would write it a little differently. Yet by God's great design, even when we're going through those moments of despair, we don't have to stay there. That He's promised, look. Take heart. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble. You will have trouble. But don't worry because I've overcome the world. We don't have to stay in despair. Even if we're going through difficulty, it's God's method to help us, to sanctify us, to make us holy. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 8. He said, look, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Let's say that again. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Philippians 1.6 says, you know what? Let me state it again in another way. He who began a good work in you will complete it. God's not done with us. He's working on us. But his methods sanctify us, even if they're different than we would. Look, think about the Christmas story again. And this is all, I'm going to wrap it up, okay? You guys have been great. <laughs> Look at Mary and Joseph. I mean, when Mary said yes, she had no idea what was ahead. I mean, it's not like God prepped her on, here's how everything's going to work, you know. I mean, he didn't even tell her about the upcoming trip to Bethlehem. You'd think he could have thrown her a bone on that one, right? Hey, in a couple days, it's going to be kind of rough for a few months, right? He could have gave her a heads up on that one. But when he told her, this, you're going to have the Son of God, and she says, be to it, as you say, Lord, she was willing. It wasn't about her abilities. She said, I'm willing. You know, I'm here. Send me. And so she didn't know what she was signing up for. She didn't know in the process she was going to lose her husband. 
Joseph. She didn't know that in the process, she was going to have to watch her son be nailed to a cross. When she signed up, she didn't know all this. God's methods sanctify us, but we don't always, we don't always see it. I mean, Joseph, he, he would have probably had to deal with, look, they were in a small town. You had a girl who's pregnant and they're not married yet. What happens in a small town? I mean, do you think Joseph ever had to deal with some shame? Some, some of those, you know, dirty looks? Oh, he's, he, he got married to that Mary God. Did you hear about that? This is what happens, right? The shame and the, and the guilt and, and the confusion. I mean, you see in the life of Jesus, we don't get a lot of detail, but Mary and Joseph, they didn't know what they were signing up for. They didn't have it all planned. But guess what? Even with all the things they had to go through, their heartache and suffering and, and sometimes you know, guilt and being marginalized, listen, through all that, they saw God. It was so worth it. She held God in the flesh. Probably she's like, no no looking back now. It's so worth it. It is so worth it. God's methods sanctify us. God is at work. It's like he's building a beautiful tapestry in our lives, you know. I'm not a quilter. I know that's surprising to you. I don't quilt a lot. But, you know, with a tapestry or a quilt, you know, they're kind of working on the top. The top part's really beautiful. But kind of underneath, you know, you got the strings hanging down, maybe some knots going on. You know, it it doesn't look very pretty on the underneath side. And so sometimes we get kind of caught up in that. We're we're down there looking and kind of looking up and going, I don't, this doesn't make any sense. These are twists and turns I never encountered. How come this knot's here, you know? What's that dangly thing mean? That's what we're doing all the time. But God's working this beautiful thing on top. You know, this tapestry is just colors and vibrancy from all the things we go through up and down. He's doing this wonderful thing on top. And one day we'll get to see it. But for right now, this is the only point I have today. Don't fret the method. Trust the Father. I know it doesn't look real pretty sometimes, staring up, wondering what God's doing. But we don't fret the method. We trust the Father. Because he's got this beautiful thing he's weaving. We can't even get our minds around it. He's doing this beautiful thing. Vibrant colors, richness. It's all going to make sense in new heavens and new earth. Save up your questions, just like I am. But we trust the Father. And we don't worry about the method sometimes. Don't fret the method, trust the Father. He's working out things in our lives. So awesome, isn't that? Hey, let's, let's, let's cap this off with a prayer. Father, we come before you. We thank you for loving us so much more than we could possibly imagine. Thank you that you do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to your power. And Father, you're weaving a beautiful tapestry. Help us to trust you. Not fret about the method, but just trust you as our Father, as our King, as our Abba Father. And you're taking care of things. And you're working all things for the good. And you're going to continue to complete this good work in us. Father, we trust you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.